this call. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Kirk Your Enthusiasm. Today, I am joined by uh, SB Nation uh, writer Sabrina Merchant. How are you? I'm doing well, Kirk. How's everything with you? We're, we're, we're okay. We're, we're just chatting a little bit in the pre-show, and I was kind of rambling about how I, I really... I know a lot of people don't like these home and home series, but I'm I'm going to get a kick out of them because it, it makes the games a little more testy, at least one of the two, because it's like one of the things I really enjoy about reading about NBA history. Like when there was only, you know, 12 or 13 teams, these guys over an 82 game season, these guys played each other so many times. And I think that sort of stuff is really good for, uh, for rivalries when there's not really a lot of natural rivals anymore. But as, 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 you know, the last time Sabrina and I talked was, probably like game two or three of the Mavs Clippers series last year, which mm-hmm. after two straight playoff series, I would say that there's kind of a, it's a very low key, but it's a, it's a, I think it's a, the players since they haven't changed too much over, over the past several seasons, this is, this kind of has a, a, a feel of a, a pair of teams that don't, I think they respect one another, but I don't really think they want the, it, it's going to be kind of a testy series. I'm, I'm looking forward to these two. Yeah, there's there's definitely a budding rivalry here, and I do think another playoff matchup would absolutely cement it. Um, it's funny you say that the principals haven't changed that much because the Clippers have like three players from that first roster that played Was against it the, the first Mavericks. One? I don't. I just yeah. I look at the main two, and it's like, ugh, yeah. Guys, but now it's all the wins. You got but it's Kawhi, PG, and uh, Zubac, who Luca just loves to play against. <laughs> and but Zubac also crushes Dallas in the certain matchups. And this is going to be very, very interesting because from last season to this season, two things have really changed about these about these respective rosters. The first is on the the Clippers end. Kawhi Leonard is obviously out until he's not out with this torn ACL which he's just the kind of bionic warrior to where it wouldn't shock me if he like shows up in, in like March and is like, okay, let's go. Uh, and then on the Maverick side, um, Rick Carlisle is no longer a coach. And I'm very curious to see, uh, particularly in a, in a series like this, whether that, that changes very much uh, because the last time these two teams played each other, the Mavericks had Luca running like a 50% usage rate, just basically being the only guy on the floor who could do anything. And, and the Clippers just slowly ground the Mavericks to dust. Um, the, it was a shame we didn't get to talk later, but that game six performance from Kawhi Leonard is going to go down as like one of the hidden gems in basketball history. as just an utterly dominating performance. I have never, I, I, I I'm still mad as a fan because it was mm-hmm. just like game three there right there. And then Kawhi was just like, Oh, this is not happening. This is not happening. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to shoot 60% guard the best player from the floor and just kill you in every way possible. Well, with that in mind with, with Kawhi out, it's the Clippers don't really seem to have missed a beat. And, and it's, if I'm understanding this correctly, it's because Paul George is looking like a man rejuvenated. So, so walk us through his season, you know, today and what's happening with some of the big picture Clipper stories. Yeah. Paul George feels very comfortable in this number one option spot, which is to be expected considering how many years he occupied this role in Indiana. And even, you know, that third place MVP finish that he had in Oklahoma city, he had a pretty high usage, but this is by far the, the highest usage he's been working with as an NBA player. And yeah, the turnovers are up, but it's also just a a delightful version of PG where he 
he can be one of the the streakier stars in the league because he relies so much on his jumper. But the the act of just having the ball in his hands more means that he's more likely to find a rhythm within any game, which is obviously very helpful for the Clippers. And I think his defensive resurgence has really been a big part of why he's been so impactful this year. Um, he he'd kind of lost a little verve on that end over the last couple hmm. seasons. I know. Um, just like the shoulder surgery made him a little less willing to fight through screens, which mm. is to be expected. Um, but he's been playing a lot more like big man defensive roles for the Clippers this year, just because their forward and front court depth has been a lot fairly limited, you know, without Marcus Morris and Kawhi both here, they're, they're both on the injury list. You know, Marcus has only played two games this season and it's highly unclear when he's going to return to the lineup, but you see Paul George doing a lot of like that, that low man rotation responsibility, uh, some, basic rim protection in the small lineups uh he's he's just been all over the place defensively and it's i mean to the point that like cleaning the glass is classifying him as a big in this year's <laughs> roster which is just the strangest thing uh but yeah that that's really where i've seen the major impact with paul is just like he's been a menace on that end of the floor and it, it's not surprising because that's how he made his you know bones when he first got into the nba but when you combine that with the fact that he's very capable of being a number one option and has been the only steady offensive threat on the Clippers when you consider like how Eric Bledsoe is hit or miss on any given night and Reggie Jackson is like not shown up in any first half of the season really. Uh, it's it's really important that they have that consistent presence on the defensive end. So that that's really what has stood out to me from the PG experience so far through these first what 15 or 16 games. Which and for for those who don't know this, like Paul George is he's is he thirty or thirty one? He's right in that that area. Thirty one, yeah. So he's played a long time now already. If you go look at his NBA career, he's also, and I think this is kind of under unknown by by people who don't necessarily follow Paul George specifically. He's a little bit of a bionic man. Like he's had mm-hmm. some real, not like it's just difficult to to continue to come back from surgeries, like. A shoulder surgery implies a heck of a like a lot of rehab, a lot of of, of, of potential effects to your like shooting mechanics, and you he know, had you, two of them in the same offseason. Oh, and and yeah. so you know the defensive part that makes a lot of sense. Like you don't absorb some of the contact, but I was also thinking about it from from like the offensive end and kind of an unwillingness to to you know maybe in the way in the back of his head not want to get hit, but mm-hmm. that he's he's how has you know because it's really affected the Mavericks. I think Luca in particular, the physicality of this season has been for me as a fan, I've really liked it, but it's also sort of changed um, the way certain guys are playing. Has, has that affected his offensive game very much? Or is it, it seems like he's just, it's like, he's a kind of a new, like new guy. It's it's I've really enjoyed watching him. Yeah. Paul George has never been a, a heavy free throw guy. Um, and some of that on the Clippers is because Kawhi gets to occupy that space in the paint more than Paul gets to. Um, and he'll, I mean, I, I never want to get into these free throw discussions, but he sure. is always of the belief that he should be getting more free throws. Oh, yeah. Um, that that hasn't really changed much this year. Like, he he's drawing as much contact as he did a year ago, and he gets into the paint about as much as he did, you know, the last couple of seasons. Um, that that hasn't been an impact. I mean, he was, he was very proud of the fact that he didn't think it was going to affect his ability to draw uh-huh. free throws. And it, uh, it has not, um, he still thinks he should be getting more, but he's, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> uh, yeah. 
for, for the Clippers, they don't really have any of those guys who have been severely impacted. The only reason they're getting fewer free throws is because the guy who draws the most fouls is not in the lineup at the moment. Well, and there's there's two other guys in the roster who actually kind of three now that I'm looking through them. I'm curious about how their seasons are going to date. Um, the last time most Mavericks fans saw Reggie Jackson, he was absolutely annihilating Dallas at, at mm-hmm. really painful moments in the playoffs. And, you know, he's had his career has just been so interesting. Um, and to see where he was to where he is now is is really kind of remarkable because I was, you know, before he signed to the Clippers, I was kind of wondering if he was kind of done with stateside basketball. And, mm-hmm. you know, now he's Clippers' second leading scorer and looks to be playing a lot of minutes. So, so how's his season going? Yeah, I mean, even after his first stint with the Clippers, after, you know, that terrible bubble playoffs, I was wondering if he was done with stateside basketball. But the the continued, uh, like, inconsistent availability of Patrick Beverly really gave Reggie Jackson an opportunity to make his mark in the starting lineup last year. And that's where Tyloo likes him best. He uh, likes him as a, a secondary ball handler and scorer next to Paul George. And I'm not sure how aware that Mavericks fandom is of this, but Reggie and PG are just absolute best friends, the thickest of thieves. They just thoroughly enjoy playing with each other so much. And um, it, it does seem like it matters quite a bit for Reggie to just be in the situation where he has a guy who is continuously supporting him. Um, he's a very emotional player. And just likes to have that positivity around him, which I think has been just a big shift for him in L.A. to play next to Paul George as opposed to whoever he was playing with in Detroit. Um, but, yeah, that that playoff series against Dallas was kind of a turning point for Reggie because it realized it, it sort of helped uh, Ty Lue and everyone realize that, yeah, this guy can score on the biggest stages. Right. Like He had a pretty excellent postseason. Um, he had this game against Utah where I know everyone talks about the Terrence man of it all, but he had. 22 points and 10 assists in the second half of that clincher against mm-hmm. Utah, uh, which is just an out- outstanding line. Um, he hasn't been the same, obviously, level of score that he was during the playoffs because who could be when I just read you that right. kind of line? But <laughs> he's been really good at picking the Clippers up in the third quarters. Uh, I think he sort of just has been feeling his way out like there's a there's like a three-headed monster in the starting lineup. Like, should Bledsoe be getting the ball? Should Reggie be getting the ball? Should PG be getting the ball? And Reggie sort of uh, sits until later in games. And uh, when he scores 18 points, like the Clippers are basically undefeated. So his scoring is, a, is an important barometer for how the team is going to perform this year. Um, and because the Clippers have been doing some more fun things on defense during the regular season than they did last year, like a lot more switching that suits Reggie's talents a lot more than playing strict man-to-man or like basic coverages because he just gets lost on screens um, but yeah he's just having a lot of fun you know uh he's a volume three-point shooter and Ty Lue is one of the coaches who's never going to tell you to stop shooting um and then he doesn't have to do as much playmaking because Bledsoe and Paul George are both there uh the, the lineups that I think that are really propping Reggie up are when he's the lone starter along with this four-man bench unit of like Terrence Mann, Luke Kennard, Isaiah Hartenstein and uh whether that's Justice Winslow or some other guy at that forward spot, he's been really good leading those bench units. Um, just having a a really awesome time going up against other teams' bench players. So that's where Reggie's been just really excellent. Is uh, when he gets to spell Paul George and just run the show for a little bit. Where it's very much uh, Re- Reggie Jackson time. I mean, yeah, and, and yeah. this is a 
I, I cannot back this up by analytics, but I, I when he went to the rec specs as a look, he just immediately yeah. became just a good, just every time he's out of the floor, it's like, oh man, Reggie's going to do something. You, you, you touched on yeah, the he next doesn't person. need him. He doesn't, yeah, he, need doesn't him at all. Need, he doesn't need them at all. No, no. The, he was done with them within like two games and everyone in the locker room was like, no, you've been great. You got to keep them. I didn't know that. That's amazing. He even wears them during practice now, just so he can continuously get used to them because he's not a glasses wearing guy. That's incredible. I like him even more now. This is a problem. (laughs) Um, Well, you touched on the next person who I was curious about, who who we saw kind of the, the, I don't know, would would you consider last playoffs a bit of a coming out party for Terrence Mann? Because he was just, absolutely. I was just so, he's the kind of guy where it's like, I look at, at just another rangy, like like his shooting was so good aspects of the playoffs and just did so many like he was an unbelievable energy player when the Mavericks mm-hmm. and Clippers played and and it just it's, it seems like he he could bring a lot of things that a slightly older team could use and and mm-hmm. so how's his season going to date thus far Yeah the thing that I love about Terrence Mann and what the Clippers really need from him is that you know their offense their, their lineup is a little bit older, you know, like a lot of 30 plus guys. Mm. Uh, they've heavily invested in the 2010 and 2011 drafts, which you know, for good reason. There's a lot of good players in those. Right. But Terrence just offers like a little bit of chaos. Like you don't exactly know what he's going to be doing in the half court. Like his cuts are a little out of whack and he dives in for offensive rebounds. That you don't think a guard should be going for. And it's really important because the rest of the Clippers are, are kind of conventional, you know, like. They, they run an offense like you would expect, you know, just a traditional drive and kick offense to work. And Terrence just injects some randomness into that. And he's also one of the few guys on the Clippers who runs really hard in transition. Um, this is not, uh, other than Bledsoe, you know, this is not one of the, the faster paced teams in the league. Like they were 28th in pace last year. That has changed significantly this year. A lot of it is because Terrence is playing about 10 to 15 more minutes and Bledsoe's in the starting lineup too. Um so him and Kennard in transition has been a really devastating conversa- uh, combination for Clippers opponents because when you have someone who can just muscle their way into the paint and any opportunity like Mann and then a shooter like Kennard who makes you pay for committing too much attention to Terrence Mann, it works out quite well. Um, and then I think the, you know, I keep bringing up the defensive side of it because the Clippers are third in defense, which I just never expected uh, for a team that lost Kawhi Leonard during the offseason. Um Terrence has been significantly improved on that end. Like it started in the very first game of the season where they put him on Stephen Curry in the second quarter and like actually managed to make some good things happen. Um, he's sort of the the de facto perimeter stopper, you know, if uh, Bledsoe's not getting the job done, um, which, you know, happens on occasion. Uh, so right. it's, it's been a good season for Terrence, man. Uh, the shooting has not been, I believe, as good as it was last year, which, you know, in general, the Clippers shooting is just not as good as it was last year because you don't have that hub of Kawhi Leonard to create excellent shots for everybody. Um, and I think just in general, league-wide, like three-point shooting has been down quite a bit. But um, Terrence has been just really great. Like he he averaged about 20 minutes a game last year. He's up to 30 this year. Uh, the two-pointers are still just as good as they were. Um, and Ty clearly trusts him quite a bit because he's played about – 85% of the team's fourth quarter minutes this season. Mm. Um, the Clippers have a funny situation where like they don't have enough depth to really trot out garbage units. So like even when the game is decided, Terrence Mann still has to play a lot. Uh, but generally speaking, that fourth quarter status because 
they want man on the court in those end of game situations. Like it's usually four starters plus Terrence at the end of games. Um, he did suffer an ankle injury against the Bulls and he didn't look quite right. Uh, so that was on Sunday. He didn't look quite right in their last game, which was Thursday against Memphis. Uh, I hope that he's like still available to go for this upcoming series. The Clippers do play today, Friday in new Orleans. So maybe he'll sit out then and be ready for the home games. But, uh, he he has been quite good, but if there's if there's like a, a gap in his performance, you know, over the next few days, it's it's probably because of the injury. Right, right. Yeah. That's interesting. So the last player I'm really curious about, this is gonna be oddly specific, just because his shooting performance in game seven of the first round against the Mavericks sticks out. Luke Kennard yeah. played a grand total of 14 minutes in two games in the first six six games in, in Dallas Clippers last year. And then he played 15 in the fourth or in game seven and was a key factor in burying Dallas. Uh, and, you know, for anybody who doesn't really remember, and maybe you don't, that game was not, it's a 15 point margin, but it wasn't ever particularly close. Like the Clippers took control pretty early and Dallas just kind of rode within like a 10 to 15 point margin most of the game. So what, my first question is why the heck didn't he play? And then mm-hmm. what changed? Because he played a lot following that. And then how's he doing yeah. this year? The Clippers love Luke Kennard. They were so happy to get him in that trade for Landry Shamit because they just think that he has significantly more capabilities with the ball in his hands and is more confident shooter than Shamit is. Um, I would like to think that this season has borne that out considering that whatever Shamit is doing in Phoenix. Uh, mm-hmm. But that's beside the point. Um, <laughs> he wasn't playing to start the series in Dallas because Rajon Rondo was taking those minutes. You know, old Dallas fan favorite Rajon Rondo. Mm. Um, and as, as we saw... Um, as is the case with Rondo in the playoffs when he's on the floor, good things happen for Dallas, right? Um, no, he was he was just terrible. He was so bad by games five and six in that playoff series that uh, Ty just had to go to Kennard. Um, and at first, I think it was, let's just play him when Jalen Brunson is on the floor so there's a place for him to hide on defense because like Brunson is at least his size. Um, and they just did not trust Luke at all in those Luka lineups because you just switch and ta-da, Doncic is on Kennard, and it's going to be a bad, bad time. Um, but he held up pretty well against Brunson, and then because, you know, Rondo was completely ineffective and Beverly was completely ineffective, they just decided, well, we have to throw someone out there who could potentially score for us, and that was Kennard. And uh, I think that confidence has really helped him coming into the season. Like, his minutes in the playoffs still wavered even after Kawhi got hurt. Like, um, they went back to Beverly instead of going with Kennard. But the start of the regular season has been really, really good for him. Um, he's shooting the crap out of the ball. Uh, that's what you expect from Luke Kennard. And his just consistent role in the second unit, I think, uh, gives him a lot more confidence in what he's going to do. Like, his minutes were just all over the place last year. Like, he was going from starting when Kawhi and PG were sitting to, like, DNPCDs and other games. It was just you never knew what you were going to get out of him. Um, and he's a player that really thrives on – some measure of consistency. I think he has the best plus minus like on the Clippers this year. One of the very best in the league. I think mm-hmm. uh, last I checked, he was like second behind Steph Curry, which I don't think is the case after the Memphis game, but <laughs> um, it's just like a stupid stat. Uh, he's just a really, really talented offensive player. Like he can get a shot off whenever. Um, again, the Clippers are the kind of team where they, they don't want you to pass to get a better shot. They just want you to take the first good shot. And Luke Kennard is very capable of that. I mentioned this earlier, him and Terrence, they are a really fun combination together. And then somehow, some way, like Luke Kennard has been okay defensively. 
like he rebounds the ball pretty well. Um, he has he's kind of he's a bigger porch. guy than you'd think. Yeah, he, yeah, he, he's he has a problem that he has a negative wingspan. You know, like mm. it's him. I think he's like the only one in the league now because last year it was just him and JJ Redick. Uh, <laughs> what they have in common, you can figure out for yourselves. But uh, he he holds up fairly well. Like he's like six five, six six. You know, he's a bigger one or two if that's who you're going to put him on. And when he's playing against second units, no one's going to just absolutely go after him one-on-one. Although DeMar DeRozan tried his very best. Um, but yeah, that it's been a very, very good season for Luke Kennard. And I expect that to continue just because of how much the Clippers clearly value what he brings to the team. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I've, I've almost kept you longer than I promised, but this, you're telling me many things that I just didn't know. And I want to ask a couple more questions if you don't mind. Yeah. Let's keep doing it. <sighs> What is the Clipper outlook this year? Because you know, mm-hmm. Kawhi Leonard goes down with a torn ACL, and you know you only get when when it comes to superstars, you just have a you have a window. And mm-hmm. I think kind of the expectation coming into the season is that the Clippers would would kind of take a tumble. But if we're looking right now, they're nine and six, and they've won they won a whole bunch of games in a row, then mm-hmm. played the Bulls, who are just you know just killing everybody at the moment. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Beat the Spurs, and then it looks like took a stumble last, because uh, we're recording on Friday, took a stumble last night to the Memphis Grizzlies, who are young and very difficult to play against. So I, I, I'm looking, it, they've, they've played a pretty rough and tumble schedule so far with teams. So it's not like like the Mavericks, uh, the Mavericks have beaten one team over 500. Like that's the dirty little secret no one wants to talk about. So I don't mm-hmm. really know how good the Mavericks are. But what do you think about the Clippers' outlook this year? Yeah, Memphis is just a bad matchup for them. They're the first team to beat them twice this season. Uh, they're just so fast. And the Clippers, uh, their main defensive weakness just for the last three years really has been just an inability to protect the paint. And the, the Grizzlies just get in there like an awful lot. They mm-hmm. just beat you up and get into the paint. Uh, but we're not here to talk about the Grizzlies. Uh, the, the outlook. So I think Kawhi is going to come back this regular season. Um, Interesting. He, he tore his ACL, but they described it as a partially torn ACL. So if we're going by that Spencer Dinwiddie timeline, because he's the last guy to suffer that injury, that could be back within seven months. Um, I don't expect Kawhi to be back within seven months. So he tore his ACL on June 15th, I believe. So seven months would put us in January. Um, That does not seem reasonable to me, but I could see him coming back like shortly after the all-star break. Um, and I think that the Clippers are preparing for the season as if Kawhi, you know, maybe Bledsoe is a bit of a downgrade from Patrick Beverly, but I think they were just sick and tired of not knowing when Beverly was going to be available mm-hmm. for any given yep. game. And, you know, there was some chatter about Beverly wanting an extension, and obviously you're not going to give a 33-year-old point guard with Beverly's track record an extension at this point. Right. Um, so, yeah, maybe Bledsoe's not as good offensively as Pat was just in terms of the shooting, but I think just that dynamic ability to get into the paint and push the pace does help the Clippers in ways that Beverly could not. Interesting. Uh, so I don't think they downgraded their team at all, even with the knowledge that Kawhi wasn't going to be available. Um, like This still seems like a roster that is prepared for the playoffs, right? They have basically everybody from last year who played rotation minutes other than, you know, Rondo and Beverly who really weren't giving him all that much in that Dallas series and Rondo wasn't giving him anything after that. Right. Um, so the pieces are all there. Um, they have a really, really good coach in Ty Lu who knows how to 
you know, construct a system and makes just killer adjustments. Like they've playing all sorts of lineups. Like they've been playing, you know, the big lineups with traditional centers like Zubach and Hartenstein. Hartenstein has been something of a revelation. Like I didn't realize he was a capable NBA player and he's pretty decent center. Like every time I watch the Clippers play against another team, I'm like, that team could have signed Isaiah Hartenstein. He just was a backup center. Like why did the Clippers have him? Uh, and they just, they play well. They, they match up, you know, against any given opponent, any given night. Like they play these Paul George at center lineup sometimes that seem to work. Like they've got uh, just a, a good stable of role players who are all capable of giving you a little bit more when Kawhi is not there. Like uh, we haven't even talked about Nicholas Batum yet, who I think is just one of the very most underrated players in the NBA. Like I'm sure mm-hmm. Luka Doncic is absolutely sick of him. Um, yes. And yes. poor Batum like, is going to have a Olympics. lot of work to do. Yeah. <laughs> That that uh, was that was quite the matchup because it was like Batum, you know, Batum had some really great. I can't remember any of them at the moment, but I remember reading the the, the quotes during the Olympics at the time that were really funny, yeah. where it's just like yeah, this guy knows said, yeah. knows that he can guard him, but also yeah. knows that because of the team makeup that the kind of has his number. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, so they just have a lot of really good players. Obviously, they're not a contender without Kawhi, but the they want to be in position so that like when Kawhi comes back, they're just continuing to roll. Right. Like not that they're Mm -hmm. waiting for Kawhi to take them to the next level, but Hey, we can basically hang with anyone during the regular season. We just know that we need you to be ready for the next like set of games to come. Um, And that to me is just like the, the mindset, right? Like they, they want to contend this year. Like they're not thinking of this as a gap year. And like, that's why they're not playing any of their rookies, really. Like the only reason Mm. that Brandon Boston has even gotten into a game recently is because Mann and Winslow were out, right? Like, so somebody has to play those minutes. Um, But this is not a a developmental time here, right? Like they've got three roster spots to rookies basically going to waste. Um, They've got a roster spot to Kawhi Leonard that's not being in use. So those 11 guys that are on the team, like they're having to work and they're having to work really hard. um, And you know, if Kawhi doesn't come back, it's it's going to suck. <laughs> but uh, they're certainly playing as if they expect him to be here for the 2022 postseason. That's really interesting. This is a bit of a deep cut. For so remember this, people. 25 minutes into a Clippers Mavs podcast, uh, we're going to talk about Brandon Boston for just a second because I think that he may be one of the super steals of the previous draft and it's going to drive me a Mavs fan who uh, you know Luke is obviously amazing but he's the only him and Jalen Brunson are the only good draft picks I've seen in 15 years um gosh mm-hmm. it's just got to be quite the learning experience for this for this 19 year old kid um I really am in this you said something that really is like like triggered something in my head where it's they're not the Clippers are not wasting a year and mm-hmm. for my Mavs fans that are listening on this I want we should all take lessons and go email Mark Cuban about this because one of the things kind of driven me crazy about Mavericks the last several years is that they've been waiting for something else. I don't know what that mm-hmm. something else is because when you have a really good team or a team that's capable, because if you expect to get like, you just need to get to the playoffs. Like that mm-hmm. is anything can happen once you're there. I mean, Utah keeps running into this problem every year where they don't know how to get, like they know they're going to get the playoffs, but they don't really know what's going to, like, like they know the end result. They're going to get beat by somebody in a frustrating fashion because they just mm-hmm. don't have that needed thing. Whereas Clippers, I think we could say, like, last year's Clippers team had Kawhi stayed healthy. 
I really feel confident that like a Clippers Bucks finals would have been almost inevitable. Like, like they were that. I agree. Good. Yeah. I, and that's what drives I mean, they me, were you know, so close against Phoenix, even without Kawhi, like two of those games Kawhi. could have easily gone in mm-hmm. the Clippers direction. And yeah. and that's why if they just get there and, and the thing like, like Kawhi's just carrying himself now, like, like to a degree, like a, like a bit of a designated hitter where the team, it, it, he, he must be apparently very confident in the team because he's hey, he was able to turn it on in some moments. And, and he's just so good because if Kawhi Leonard is your X factor, that's an incredible luxury to have. So it's like <laughs> looking at this team right now, I, I'd kind of project them to be probably top five, you know, just without Kawhi. Does does that mm-hmm. kind of like that kind of range make sense to you from what you've seen so far? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, preseason, I thought they were going to be about the six seed and mm. uh, the West is about as good as I thought it was going to be like, you know, not as good as last year, but still decent among that that group that's trying to avoid the plan. So yeah, I could see them being top five. I mean, I think they're what, currently in sixth right now. So they're, they're currently in fifth. Yeah. They're, they're right there. Um, yeah. It's yeah. just a good team, you know, yeah. uh, like probably not going to make like a you lot said, of, they just, they're going to be one of these teams around the 40 game mark where Zach Lowe and a lot of the people who covered the NBA at a national level are going to be like, man, these Clippers, they're just really good. And they're not yep. going to know what to say. <laughs> Because it's just really good. And I experienced this a lot with the Mavericks in the mid 2000s, where it's like they're really good and they're really good in the not really interesting to talk about ways, but they just keep racking up wins. Mm -hmm. And that's all that really matters. Yeah. So, well, I've taken up too much of your Friday. Um, We have an interesting Sunday game uh, at 2 30 Dallas time, 12 30 LA time, which we're about to see how the LA nightlife affects a Mavericks team that has some guys that like to go out is what I will say. Um, <laughs> I heard about and, that during the playoffs. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then, uh, then so Sunday and Tuesday. Um, and and mm-hmm. then, so it's, yeah, so that, that'll be nice. The Clippers play one more time. They played some, they play tonight. Is that right? I think so. That's correct. They played a night against new Orleans. Yeah. So by the time they play on Sunday, they will have two more games played under their belts, but the, the new Orleans is a nice little get right game before they go play the Mavericks. Um, really appreciate you taking this much time to talk to me because the, the, I, I the further teams go West outside of making fun of the Lakers when they suffer, just cause it brings mm-hmm. me, it brings me pleasure as a former Pepperdine grad that was out there when Kobe was massacring <laughs> my, my teams. It's, it's, I did not I, know that. Oh God. I was, I remember where I was standing in the gym when someone came in, it's like, Kobe has 60 and it's only through three quarters. Like, no, <laughs> this just it's just like like just physical pain because they were so good then <laughs> um all right well this has been fun i hope uh maybe we can do it again because i don't think these two teams i'm just gonna scroll, scroll we actually have more. another two game set in dallas later this year so maybe we can do you like that. these these two game sets from a from I like, like it a, a lot. point of view yeah i like it a lot uh i mean just in general like part of the reason that the playoffs are more fun is get you get to really dig into a team and mm-hmm. Uh, I just think Ty Lue is excellent in making adjustments. So even if they lose the first one, like I wouldn't expect that to happen in the mm-hmm. second game. Um, it's hard to be yeah, a team I, twice I in a row. And and I yeah. think it forces those – like Carlisle was such a jerk about – like he would just put things away that worked. He wouldn't use them anymore because he didn't want <laughs> tape on them. And it's like that's why Luca and, and KP never ran pick and rolls. He's like, well, I don't want teams to figure out how to defend it. It's like – well, we got. Can we just run it though? Because it works. <laughs> uh, just drives me crazy. Um, okay, this has been 
Kirk Henderson and Sabrina Merchant. This has been Kirk, your enthusiasm on the Mavs Moneyball feed. Please like, subscribe, do all that wonderful stuff. You can go find Sabrina's work at multiple uh, SB Nation websites. Um, and she, because you are all, you are always working when I'm checking the timeline. I'm basically just on Clips Nation right now for the time being. I'm is it nice to have a like is is the schedule a little better this year because last year like i didn't realize how nice this i just got used to grinding and now i'm like mm-hmm. oh i can i can do something on an off night this is this is yeah wonderful. i i'm loving it just uh only keeping up with one team and having the spaced out schedule again it's it's been delightful yeah it's just big get to be a human being well all right let's talk again a little later in the season thank you so much for coming on uh, and we will talk soon everybody enjoy your weekend